Welcome to Live in the Air podcast, your fortnightly show with interviews and insights on meditation, mindfulness, and consciousness. This podcast is brought to you by liveinthere.com, and I'm your host, Giovanni Dinsman. This is episode number one, and I'm interviewing Ken Laderut, who is a mindfulness meditation teacher, musician, and founder of Clarity Mind Institute and Affirmation Music for Better Outcomes. Ken is a self-made entrepreneur running profitable franchise businesses and commercial real estate and has taught at university level. In 1989, he was initiated by a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda into Kriya Yoga and has been an ardent meditator and teacher for over 34 years. He utilizes his talents to help leaders and companies develop clarity through mindfulness training to be fully present and aware. In this episode, you will learn how Ken used meditation to overcome depression and go through other hard situations in life. So let's get started. Hi Ken, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling excellent, thank you. Thank you for having me, Giovanni. That's great. It's a great pleasure to have you here in our show. Can you briefly talk about your background? Uh, what do you do and how you started doing meditation? Sure. Well, I was a depressed kid uh, when I was seven, oh, maybe 12 years old. I was raised in a northern town in Ontario, Canada, 12 hours north of Toronto, and I was bullied. And I wear very thick glasses, and I became very introverted as a result. I, I felt very bad. And I escaped by teaching myself how to play the guitar. So I just went to my guitar every time I felt like I couldn't handle the world or everything that was going around me. I had kind of a, a tough upbringing. My father was an alcoholic, and my mother was a drug addict. and. I lived in this very culturally devoid town, and I was sensitive, and I was a creative. So after teaching myself a certain degree of guitar, when I left at 17, I took the bus down to Toronto. It was a long bus ride, about 24-hour bus ride. And uh, I auditioned for a band, and I got the gig. So I proceeded to go on the road for 14 years, playing six nights a week as a guitar player. So I toured Canada and the U.S. And um, we had several top hits, or I, I wouldn't say they were hits, but they were on the top uh, adult-oriented playlists in radio stations throughout Canada. And uh, I just had a great time. I really opened up as a person. I was very kind of emancipated, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had this great degree of freedom as a result of being on the road and being in new environments all the time and traveling. And um, not only that, I got to meet girls and I got to play the guitar and I just had a great time. It was one time where I was playing in a hotel and it was kind of a scary hotel. There were strippers downstairs and we stayed in band rooms upstairs and it was a kind of a scary room i remember it was a turquoise room with one light bulb and a sink that dripped at night what happened was i woke up in the middle of the night just trembling i was just really afraid i just felt like i had done all the wrong things i i, I couldn't go to my religion because my, i had religion i was raised as a Catholic, but it didn't really answer my questions as to why I was so anxious, depressed, and afraid. 
and I had this feeling of fear, and I was all alone, and I missed my parents, missed my family and my life, and I was all alone on the road and living, and I was in this hotel room, and it was scary. And so the next day I went to the bookstore, and I started trying to find answers about why I was afraid. And so I started reading uh, Hindu texts and Buddhist texts, and Western psychology texts, and I just became this voracious reader on the subject of Eastern spirituality, meditation, yoga, Vedanta, the Upanishads, uh, Western psychology like George Gurdjieff, then I got into Edgar Cayce, then I got into Theosophy, and then I got into the Bhagavad Gita, and Vedantic texts, and even some Hare Krishna texts, and I just became very passionate about the subject of mysticism and meditation, and eventually I taught myself how to meditate, and uh, it was really good for me. It settled me down, it calmed me down, because I paced relentlessly. I was constantly pacing, and I was very uptight and very kind of neurotic in a way. And um, the meditation settled me down, it calmed me down, cooled my whole personality. Um, but I was still a rock and roll guitar player. I still had that side to me where I rocked out and I was a loud guitar player. Uh, but the meditation really helped me balance myself and center myself. So that was my first exposure to meditation. Mm -hmm. And what was the type of meditation you were doing at that time? I guess it was just a quieting of the mind meditation. I can't remember exactly what technique I practiced at the time, close to 35 years ago. Wow. <laughs> it gradually, gradually grown into a no-mind meditation that I practice now, and even though I've been involved with several different styles of meditation. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the role of meditation in your life now? Why do you still practice it? The role of meditation in my life now is to become and expand my awareness to who I am really and to keep me centered in the present moment. And what have you discovered so far about your true being, about who you are? Oh, I've discovered that I am love embodied. Ah. And also, there's times where I also feel a certain degree of non-existence. Now, I, I know that sounds a little weird, but when I get into my meditation practice, or just even throughout the day, there's times where I feel like uh, I don't exist. And, of course, there's the larger I, and there's the smaller I, and the story you tell yourself about yourself, or the illusional sense of I-ness, is the I that I'm talking about that doesn't exist. It kind of vanishes, and as I progress throughout my understandings, I've found that finding out who I am, in essence, was looking at who I wasn't. So it was a subtraction process more than anything, Giovanni. Mm. Finding out who I wasn't. I'm not my beliefs. I'm not my opinions. I'm not my assumptions. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my body. I'm not my emotions. So who the heck am I then? As I look further into it, I find that I am awareness, that I am aware of who I am through myself, to myself, by myself. And it's, it's kind of a self-referral process. Sometimes it can be disconcerting, but then other times it's completely 
the most magnificent thing you can ever experience because what you're understanding is there's nowhere that love is not and it's especially in you it animates you it animates everything that's going on around you it it animates what you do how you do it when you do it so it's really a lot of fun actually and it's a light way of being i think you put it there beautifully because the buddhists speak of emptiness or mindlessness mm. and other practices speak about transcending the ego and finding your true self and you said that in those moments you feel like you don't exist but you right. also said that you you are love so actually right. this non-existence it's from the point of view of the ego you don't feel you exist as a person or as an ego in those moments but you feel that your existence is actually much more more broad more deep more satisfying right all of our pathways are toward fulfillment and it's kind of interesting you know like buddhists and hindus are like kissing cousins really the buddhist will walk you through a pathway toward emptiness the hindus have multifaceted gods multifaceted ideologies surrounding their religions and it's a fullness so it's an empty fullness is what it is giovanni mm. You know, I transitioned from Buddhism to Advaita Vedanta in my own spiritual journey. And mm -hmm. in the beginning it did cause a little bit of confusion because when I was in Buddhism, it was all about the non-self, the emptiness. While mm -hmm. in Advaita Vedanta in Hinduism in general, they speak of the self, the Atman. But mm -hmm. after a while I realized that what they call Atman or self or pure self in Hinduism is what the Buddhists call emptiness. It's actually your true self. It's not a nihilistic um, existence. Mm. So Very yeah. beautifully put. An empty fullness or a full emptiness. <laughs> exactly. So there's actually nothing to be afraid of. Sometimes people are afraid when they hear about nirvana because it means annihilation or, or emptiness. But actually it means, as you said, an existence that is full, an existence that comes from from your true self, not from your identity. Mm, exactly. Now, do you have a story where mindfulness or meditation saved your day big time? Well, meditation saves my day every day. In July, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. I've been married to Amy for 34 years, so I've been together with her for a long time. I met her when she auditioned for a band that I was in in Niagara Falls. She got the uh, vocal vocalist spot and she got the guitar player at the same time. <laughs> so we've been together for a long time. We toured on the road together and she means everything to me. She's just an amazing person. So when she walked into my office and said that she was diagnosed with cancer, this was a time where I was completely devastated. I barely could stand up. It was very difficult, but then my practice, my meditation practice, my mindfulness practice has always brought me to a place of equanimity or a balanced state of mind. And you can be the I within the storm, the calm within the storm. It's cumulative, its mm -hmm. effects are cumulative. So if you practice it on a continual basis for many years like I have, it animates your whole being, you become meditation you become mindfulness and so my mind 
even though it was confronted with this idea that I could lose my mate, essentially, I still could maintain a certain degree of calmness around this perceived fearful chaos or insanity, whatever you want to call it, or just life's vicissitudes, life's difficulties, life's struggles, suffering, if you will. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so, and, I, and I'm still human. You know, I remember having a discussion with her and we were trying to figure out alternative therapies versus, versus traditional therapies. And we had this big argument over which way we should go. And I was, you know, in favor of empirical data and quantifiable data. And I ended up kicking the office desk and I hurt my foot. And I limped around for the next couple of days and it was like instant karma. <laughs> but I'm still human and... Even though I'm really highly awakened, it doesn't preclude you from being human. And I had to mitigate the idea of being able to deal with my wife and her own personality and also the way the life, life is structured, our, our real-world scenarios, traditional medicine, and coping with this idea that I had to support Amy and be able to love her and care for her and be loyal to her during this very serious time. And my meditation walked me right through everything. This equanimity or this balanced state of being helped me not go crazy over mm -hmm. the whole situation. And now and she's, it's been eight months since she's had her radiation therapies and she's on track for a full recovery. So oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, she's doing very good, and I'm, you know, starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Does she meditate as well? Yeah, Amy does meditate. She's not as devout as I am. She, she is a meditator. She's a very uh, spiritual person, very highly realized person, a, a lightness of being about her and joyful way of being. Wow. It's so great to hear that meditation had such an impact in your life and help you to go through these hard moments that life can bring any one of us. That's one of the purposes of practice. And you really, really get to know of your practice when it gets tested this way. And it's great to hear from an experienced meditator how that helped you keep your center and your balance and probably to be there for your wife in a more wholesome way. That's the whole thing, Giovanni, was being there for her. Thich Nhat Hanh said, that one mantra that you can use is, darling, I'll be there for you, something like that. But that's I mean, nice. that's the best thing you can do for somebody is be present for them and be loyal to them. Loyalty is such a beautiful quality to remain and be there with them. You know, many times during the, I had, she had three surgeries, so I had to sit through the surgeries. That was tough. I go into a meditation with her, a presence meditation, fully embodied in the, fully in the moment and just be there. And that was enough. That's the biggest gift that I could give her. Wow. Nowadays, you're bringing mindfulness to the corporate world. Can you speak a little bit of the, the challenges that you find in bringing mindfulness to the corporate world and the results that you're seeing in corporations? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. We're living in a time that's unprecedented. And it's an exciting time, but it's a challenging time as well. We are being conditioned and trained by our devices, and we're in the midst of continual information overload and digital distraction. And we are unable to pay attention. In fact, on a daily basis, we only pay attention 47% of the time. 
So we're suffering from something called ADT, or attention deficit trait. And it's different than ADD. Attention deficit trait is our inability to pay attention. And we are being conditioned, as I said, to have all these pieces of distraction that's coming at you, and we are running on autopilot. So this inability to pay attention requires that we pay more attention to our world and to the beauty that's presented to us on a daily basis and our life, the gift of life. So I decided that I would teach mindfulness to corporations and to leaders and their teams because leaders affect other people in a great way and leaders are having difficulties paying attention and to getting their teams to be productive and profitable because of the onslaught of information that's coming at them. Like you might get 200 emails in a day and you have to attend to them all. You have to get all your stuff done. You might have four meetings. You have your boss yelling over your shoulder and you have to filter all this information and become productive all at the same time. So it could be very challenging. Mindfulness, which means simply awareness, but John Kabat-Zinn's version of mindfulness, which I like too, is bringing one's complete attention to the present moment on a moment-to-moment -moment basis without judgment, just as it is. Beautiful description. Mindfulness is purely kind of a marketing word that just relays back to long-term meditators understanding that who am I? Being in the present moment, being fully present, being fully aware, understanding who you are really, which you are in essence an individualized unit of pure consciousness localized in the male or female form. Um, coming back to your question, there's another component of mindfulness that's essential, I believe, and that's one of self-compassion. Coming back to the essence that you are is love. And if you can understand and have self-acceptance as to who you are, in essence, which is love, and be compassionate towards yourself, you can also be compassionate toward others, and you can love others. And so there's several books that have been written recently, one by Daniel Goldman called Emotional Intelligence, and bringing to corporations and organizations that one must have emotional intelligence or EQ or the ability to recognize your emotions within yourself and that and the emotions of other people as well. And so you get this coherence, this transparency that occurs and you begin to care about others. And another thing that's happening in the world is just this quickening of evolution that's requiring us to become more caring of others, to be more vulnerable, to be connected. We're all, like a lot of entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs are having to understand themselves better, to self-reflect better, to be more self-aware, to be more self-actualized, and mindfulness brings that about as well, as just as meditation does. So, I decided to teach mindfulness to corporations to bring more awareness to their organizations, to bring more awareness, self-acceptance to leaders so that they can become more profitable and more productive. And so they can separate the wheat from the chaff, so they can see clearly when they're making their decisions. A great meditator clears away all of the non-essentials 
brings great focus to one's mind just to be able to see that you're not the mind, to see that your existence isn't dependent, determined, or defined by the mind and or by your thought stream. So embodying the mindful or the meditative stance, the way your meditation has imbued your body, the way your meditation imbues your voice, and bringing it to the stage, bringing it to leaders, bringing it to organizations, shows a new pathway for organizations on how to get stuff done and how to work smarter, not harder, and how to integrate work and life, your, your work-life balance. I don't know if that answered your question. No, but. definitely. <laughs> and do you feel that this modern approach to mindfulness, as it's happening in the West, do you feel that leaves behind some important elements of practice, such as uh, ethics or some Eastern concepts? Do you think that's lacking, or do you see it just as an entrance door for those that are interested to go deeper to, to get to know about meditation? I think both. First, you know, concepts. Concepts are of the mind. So meditation, mindfulness, really is about transcending the mind. It's about seeing that all is unimaginably well. Everything is so unimaginably well, you can't even realize how great it is. Evolution's on a pathway toward quickening and toward emancipation, toward love, toward the unification with God. And so we're on the right track. We just have to get our minds out of the way. We have to jump in the boat and throw away the paddles and float downstream to where life is taking us. Life doesn't need to know which way is right or wrong. It's going the right way. We just have to get out of the way. So Eastern concepts get in the way. The word mindfulness actually gets the foot in the door. It's a good thing. And we're all being pushed towards mindfulness. We're all being pushed towards expansion of awareness, whether we like it or not. The key is to allow the mind to just dissipate, to be so in the moment that we think less and be more. We're human beings, not human doings. So if we can allow the mind to take second place, we're also cerebral, but we have a body, you know, and if we could trust our bodies more and ask our bodies how we feel, how does my body feel when I'm talking to Giovanni? How does my body feel when I'm playing the guitar? My body feels great when I'm playing the guitar. <laughs> My body feels great when I'm talking to Giovanni on a podcast. Oh my gosh, I feel great. So if we can let the mind out of the way, then everything proceeds on its own. Life is just taking you on this journey, and you have to get your mind out of the way so that you can allow yourself to go on the journey and have a good time. Indeed, sometimes the mind is the only thing that prevents us to live life more fully and to see us for who we really are. We have this constant inner chatter, this internal journalist that is creating stories about what's happening in our life, about what this means, about what that means, about who we are. And mm. these are just stories. They are just things that we can choose to believe or we can choose to just recognize, let it be, and see things for what they are. Mm, so, beautiful. Well, I like your internal journalist idea. That's cool. If you have enough awareness so that you can see your thoughts, that's pretty cool. Oftentimes, it's really good to question your assumptions and question your beliefs. Like, I think, you know, belief systems are BS. Even your opinions, or even the word belief, 
you know, the, the word belief has the word lie in it. And all a belief is just a continual thought that you continue to have, that you adopted, that just gets repeated in the mind and crystallized, and the neural pathways in the brain continue to run the thought, and you eventually call it, oh, that's my belief. Well, questioning your beliefs, or even questioning your thoughts, like, are my thoughts true? Sometimes, you know, I don't trust my thoughts. I have to really notice what I'm thinking to see whether or not this is true or not. So I think it's a good practice to do. Mm -hmm. These beliefs become reality for us. We, we stop seeing them as beliefs. So at a certain point, we have repeated them so much in our own minds that they feel like it's reality. So it's not like I'm questioning my beliefs. I'm just, that's how things are. And at that point, things become really, really dangerous. And we need to stop and see and think like, is this really how things are? Or is this how I condition myself to believe? Is there a possibility mm. that things are different? Mm, beautiful. <laughs> well, thinking isn't the highest human faculty. There's a more refined way of being, and that's simply allowing yourself to simply be. On the other hand, you know, we're co-creators, and I like the saying, that which is seen is created by that which sees it. So in quantum physics, or physicists will tell you that we do create our realities by how we think. So being careful as to how we think is important as well. Definitely. Do you feel a person need to do some lifestyle changes or that some lifestyle changes can support the meditation practice to go deeper? Well, first of all, you know, I was a long-time meditation practitioner where I'd spend many hours in meditation. And meditation is completely enjoyable. It's one of the most fun things you can do in my opinion. But it also can be an escape for many people. And especially people who are creatives and sensitive people and or HSPs or highly sensitive people, some people use meditation to escape. That's not so good. I think that if you can embody a practice of mindfulness as to how you're working through the world or how you're being through the world, like when you wash dishes, be pay attention to how you wash the dish. Or even when you're putting your coffee cup down on the desk, how you pay attention to where it's placed and how you speak and the attention you give somebody is a beautiful mindfulness practice. You can practice that all day long. How you write, what kind of focus you give to your writing. Everything you do can be a mindfulness meditation practice. So even 10 minutes of going into your present moment awareness is so beneficial, like asking yourself, am I still breathing? And as soon as you ask that question, it takes you right into the present moment. Definitely. If you could travel back in time and meet the old version of yourself in the beginning of your journey, what advice would you give yourself? That's a great question. Good questions, Giovanni. I'd say lighten up, dude. <laughs> I'd say, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Oh my gosh. We think, at least for me, I took myself so seriously and that everything is so serious. You know, the word enlighten, what does that mean? It means to lighten up. And it's not all that scary. 
You know, I like the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. What it, it's <laughs> illusional. So much of everything is illusional. Like the other day we picked up some photos from 10 years ago and I looked at some of those photos and my father-in-law had passed away, my uncle had passed away and those people are no longer there. But I'm still here and I, I looked at myself, I was 10 years younger and I went, who is that person? And it's like one Maya, it's one big illusion. And so the opposite of death isn't birth. Life is an evolutionary expression of itself that continues on and on and on. And so even death isn't all that scary, you know? It's, it's just, so a lot of people are just afraid of living and they develop a core value of being afraid. My core value is transformed from fear into love and to having a good time and feeling good and being joyful and recognizing and being aware of the things that make you feel good in your body. So that's what I would tell uh, my old self that my new self has learned and actually I embody it. That's nice. That's nice. I thoroughly enjoyed being here with you. I enjoyed your presence and the contribution. If people want to know more about you, where would they go? They can go to my website, www.claritymind.com. Claritymind.com. And thank you, Giovanni, for the work you're doing in the world. Great contribution. And I appreciate the interview and the fun time I've had here. That's great. Thank you very much, Ken. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you go. Thank you very much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode with all the links, names, and resources mentioned at livingthere.com. If this is your first time listening, thank you for coming. We bring a great variety of guests from all walks of life and practitioners of different meditation techniques, so be sure to stick around. Please subscribe via your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. And if you have learned something valuable today, it would mean a lot to me if you leave a comment. You can follow me on Twitter at geo underscore self. And as usual, we end it with a quote. If you have time to breathe, you have time to meditate. You breathe when you walk. You breathe when you stand. You breathe when you lie down. Ajahn Amaro. <laughs>